Hey gang, welcome to our second episode of DM Splaining, our bonus episodes where we talk about everything from world building to rules clarification to character backstories. I'm joined by Andrew, aka Moyle Mossberg. Hello. To talk a little bit about the countries that make up our homebrew setting of Arnosia, specifically on the continents of Normir and Sama, where our Normir is where our guys are, are currently located, and there might be a trip to Sama in their future sometime, which I don't think is a huge spoiler considering a big part of Baba's backstory. So first of all, having had a couple of new players, I wanted to use a alternate existing world map, kind of just a a modification of a a planet that they were familiar with. So you guys would have a little bit better concept of the scale and scope of the landscape. I thought that would make it a little bit easier for you guys who are new to it to orient yourselves when you're thinking about, we got to go over to this place. This is how long it's going to take. And this is what we're going to do. So when I started the map, I said, okay, let's take, let's start with Pangea and then fast forward it through its like second or third stage of Pangea and then slam a giant crystal asteroid into the planet. And what, what would that do geographically? And that's kind of how we got our world map as it exists with Normir and Sama and then Rapazia, Asir, Rallion, and Trikal being the other continents that we're not going to talk about today that we can get into later. But really just focusing on Normir, which is our starting location. There are a couple of different countries that make up Normir. There's Noark, which is in the northeast. Dak, which would be Midwest through uh, basically northern Midwest. Amsoon, which is uh, southeast. The western duchies, which are the west coast, basically. And then Hiko. So this kind of sounds a bit like North America as we would envision it, right? It's exactly North America as we envision. If you took North America and curled it a little bit, then you would get uh, you would get kind of the layout here. So these are all just bastardizations of different regions. Like Dak is the fucking Dakotas. Let's be honest here. Right. Like I, you know, I am definitely taking existing world names and then fantasying them up for you guys. Newark is. New York. I forget where exactly I got Cardona from. Amsoon is the American South, Amsoon. And then uh, Hiko is, I believe, a, a, a shortening of Mexico. And then the Western Duchies is is called that way because it is a kind of a loose organization. So so my character, the Dragonborn, is supposed to be from a, a swampy area. Yeah, I had you pegged for Hiko. Yeah. So let's let's kind of start start talking about there because that I think has most to do with with your character and helps out. So Hiko is in the southeast. It is Florida, or would that be Am? Because there's there's Florida and then there's the South, just like there's the South and then there's Texas. You're specifically from the Southern Fens, which is a subregion of Hiko. Correct. So uh, Hiko is the southeastern region. It's a theocratic monarchy. Uh, Hiko's monarchy is supported by the papacy of Tritherion, the god of liberty and retribution. You guys have met them. The country's military and justice system are staffed and controlled by the church. The crown retains full control over trade agreements, economic policies, and social programs, but in most cases will defer to the recommendations provided by the cabinet of cardinals. Hiko has a mix of a few minor mountain ranges, a few small runs of forest, and large expanses of developed farmland. Other than the southern fens, which is where your guy would be from, that we'll get to in just a second, the region is predominantly human with small pockets of dwarves and halflings. Hiko has seen the least amount of political or cultural change over the last 200 years. They're particularly unwelcoming to most non-human races. Hiko has attempted to position itself, its capital of Trith, as a sister city to Amsun's Orlan, but Amsun has rejected any overtures. Hiko has attempted to present Trith as a potential alternate location for the seat of nations, but due to the country's attitudes towards non-humans, it's not gained any traction with the other member nations. 
other than Amsoon, Hiko is the only other country in Normir that maintains a standing military force. While not banned, arcane magic is typically viewed with suspicion. The religion is almost exclusively Tritherion based. So off of that, you've got a big peninsula, which would be the Southern Fens. And while it's technically a part of Hiko, the Southern Fens is generally ignored by the Crown and Church as long as the Mercantile Guild continues to produce regular payouts for their operations in the area. The Fens is a huge peninsula off the southern coast of Normir, distinguished by a vast river delta produced by the southern end of the Serpent's Path River. Almost exclusively swamped, the area was avoided by the colonial expansion conducted by Hiko prior to their participation in the Treaty of Nations. Rumors of vast oil reserves prompted the Mercantile Guild to purchase exploratory rights to the region. The Mercantile Guild has set up drill platforms, elevated cartways, and trading hubs to support their interests. The mercantile developments were welcomed by a dwarven offshoot unique to the region, stilt dwarves, but they've been met with mixed reaction from the other communities. A mix of humans, half-elves, dragonborn, stilt dwarves, lizard folk, tabaxi, triton, turtle, yanti, kobolds, and goblins live in this area. Drill platforms are almost exclusively populated by dwarves. Trading centers tend to be very diverse, and species diversity in the local communities vary wildly from village to village. Religion is focused on deities favoring the sea, magic, nature, healing, sport, and racial patrons. So within that, you've got these buttes that uh, are mesas, whichever is appropriate. I'm not really sure. What's the difference between a butte and a mesa? Uh, mesas are flat. I think a butte is just a mountaintop. Okay, so then these would be mesas. So you have these huge mesas that rise up out of the swamp in a few spaces, and those are the traditional home of the different chromatic and metallic dragonborn clans. So Moyo would be from one of these huge mesas in Hiko in the southern fens, and that's where you would have originated and then traveled out from there as a sailor. So because of the amount of river trade that takes in there, it'd be very natural for you to migrate to, to being a sailor from that area. Uh, I just want to clarify for the listeners, the only difference between a mesa and a butte is its size. Most geographers say a butte is taller than it is wide, while a mesa is much larger, slightly less elevated feature. Buttes are created as streams solely cut through a mesa or plateau. So the famous three, um, I think it's called Monument Valley in Arizona or New Mexico. Those are all, I think, they're, yeah, they're pretty interchangeable. Okay. So we can say that Moyle's from a big butte, though. I think that works better for his character. So a big butte and a even bigger swamp. Yep, a big swampy butte. Okay, it's like um, it's like the Legion of Doom that comes out. Yeah, <laughs> very much so. So that's that's the the southeast of the continent. North of Hiko directly would actually be Amsoon. It's the east coast central region of kind of the North American modified map that we've got. It's a stratocracy ruled by the Parliament of Lord Commanders. While the country is ruled by the military bureaucracy, the regional structure is rooted in the feudal lordships that passed along family lines under the country's original monarch. The country is segmented into baronies managed by a lord commander. While that's technically an inherited position, the military nature of the culture has effectively installed a meritocracy under which lordships will pass to whomever the current lord supports is worthy. It's not uncommon for a lord to adopt an officer or soldier who distinguishes themselves to be next in line for the position. If they do not feel a natural-born heir is worthy, or should the heir decide to abandon their post, like they really want to be a bard when they grow up, then they absolutely can do so. So there is some. it's not a true matrilineal, patrilineal, uh, inherited ruling position. It's like, uh, it's like in Gladiator, at the beginning of Gladiator, where Marcus Aurelius is supposed to take over, even though he's not the son of the current ruler of Rome. Exactly. 
Exactly. It's, you know, whoever, whoever does the best job, but also that kind of gives the, if the firstborn son really just doesn't want to do it, he can just bail out without being, you know, thrown out of the family. There's a little bit more flexibility there because they don't want somebody forced into the business decision and they don't want somebody who's not competent as well. But this is a, this is a ruling for life, essentially. Like if you take the position, you're there until you. Until you retire. Yeah. Until you would choose to retire. Okay. So, which originally that was a much short, shorter time frame due to the military conflicts. But since we're in a relatively extended per- period of peace, you do tend to see older rulers at this point. There's less turnover because there's fewer large scale battles. Capital city of Amsun would be Orlan. It's located in the Godsword Peninsula, which houses the seat of nations where the allied countries of Normir, Ropasa, and Asir gather to discuss and plan for the divine summers and the repercussions of these events. A number of independent military institutes and martial monasteries are spread across the region and are supported by government funding. College of Swords Bards tend to have their backgrounds rooted in Amsun. Other than Orlan, larger cities are grouped around the seat of each barony. A single small mountain range houses the sole dwarven and gnomish community in the region. There's diverse agricultural endeavors spread, which range from citrus groves in the east to heavy grain production in the west. There are pockets of heavy forest spread throughout the region. Races would include humans, dwarves, wood elves, half-elves, halflings, gnomes, orcs, half-orcs, goblins, hobgoblins, bugbears, tritons, centaurs, and minotaurs which is a fairly diverse and somewhat interestingly monster-heavy spread. But the some of the typically martially-oriented non-human races have really found a home here because they've been able to come in and prove their worth and be adopted into the culture. So, like, definitely in Hiko, they would see a minotaur as a monster. Ah, it's just a, just a bullheaded dude here. Mm. Hamsun provides the military support for other countries under the auspices of the Seat of Nations. Religions tends toward deities honoring law, war, death, healing, and then again, racial patrons. To the north, to the north of that, Nark is the northeastern uh, peninsula of Normir. It's a majocracy. It's run by a council of three. The three seats on the council belong to the three major universities spread across Nark. Yal Havar is the traditional home of the High Elves and the location of the oldest magical university on the continent. It serves as the capital of the region. High Elves have controlled Yal Havar since its inception. Humans currently control the Board of Regents at Crown University, and Half Orc serves as the Dean at the Setsum Institute of the Arcane. While there are schools and other centers of learning spread across Numir, Noark's institutions serve as the primary seats of arcane research. College of Lore Bards train in this region. Major cities are positioned around each university. Rural areas tend towards farming and fishing. There's no major mountain ranges. Agricultural regions are known for their orchards, which produce a high, wide variety of fruit. Races include human, high elves, half elves, halflings, gnomes, dragonborns, half orcs, orcs, hobgoblins, goblins, kobolds, asimar, triton, tieflings, warforged, genasi. It's a high education level, advanced, very advanced magical tech level. One of their primary exports is magic tech. Very politically liberal, but steeped in bureaucracy. A wide diversity of races in all areas, extremely diverse religious base. The universities have encouraged all the major priesthoods to establish abbeys in the area because they partner with these abbeys to study the interaction between divine and arcane magic. So this is actually where Fate is from. Fate went to Corallon Mages Academy, which is a smaller university in Newark. He plays it up like it's a really big, super fancy one, but it's it's not quite a community college, but it's certainly no Yalhavar. But it's not it's not a vocational school. No. Is the architecture that predominates uh, these areas, does it vary wildly between each of these regions? 
Like, yeah, absolutely. So Newark, think Ivy League schools dotted with major mage towers. Like when you think of Harvard and Yale and the grounds that surround them and spread out there, that old, old Northeastern, a lot of brick, a lot of towers um, that are associated with the mages. Amsoon, you tend to get a lot more brutalist architecture. It's very military. It's very practical. It's very thick. The Southern Fens, it's more practical. There's the industrialization piece of it where you've got these super highways that are raised up over the swamp. Then you have the the various villages, which depending upon where they're at above or below sea level, may be on a flotilla, they may be on silts, they may be just a traditional fishing village. Then you have the dragon board holds, which are actually bored into the mesa. And if you're going through Hiko, would you find some of the characters from Deliverance in there, uh, some dueling banjos? Then I don't know if there's so much deliverance guys, um, because those were hillbillies. But I mean, you're going to get you might get a few of those here and there in the southern fens. But you're definitely going to get some fantasy rednecks in Hiko, for sure. And then as you go up to Amsoon, Mm -hmm. Newark, people are, I would assume, less friendly than in Amsoon and... No, so it gets it's north to south. So the the magical universities are very much bolstered by the interaction with the other countries. So they are very accepting. Now, high elves are very snobbish and they like to laud the con- continuity of their memory over other races. Because, mm-hmm. again, kind of going back to the original backstory blip, you know, a lot of a, a trope that you'll see in a lot of other fantasy settings is that the oh, the elves were here and then they ruled for thousands of years and then humans appeared. Mm-hmm. Or there are other races that were there and then eventually humans appear and it kind of goes from there. One of the core conceits of, of Arnosia is that the impact of the God's Mount triggered that evolution with all the races simultaneously. So there's no, there's no ancient civilizations to be like, there's just this civilization. And we've got this uh, period of, I believe, 4,000 years of recorded history is what. It does seem like the elves have been around for longer just because of their lifespans being so much further extended than the other races. They've done a little bit better job of keeping track of things and documenting history. So they they feel like they still fe- come across as, as know-it-alls. And they are definitely a little speciesist, not as bad as the humans of Hiko, but they are kind of snobby. But generally as a whole, it's a very welcoming area. Amsoon is, again, it's it, that, that military aspect of the meritocracy is built into most of the interactions with people. They want to know you for what you can do, and that's how they'll judge you for who you are. Hiko is, is human centrist and very, I mean, if you're human, yeah, that, that Hiko hospitality is well known. And then the Southern Fens is, is fragmented enough that there's not a prevailing opinion of it. You get the stilt dwarves are very industrial, the individual little villages, it just depends on the village that you, that you come across. I want to hit Dak real quick and the Western duchies, and then we'll hit Cardana and then a couple, and then Sama and then a couple other points real quick. So Dak would be the Northern Midwest. It is a monarchy filled with traditional ties to Druidic orders. Uh, This is where Eldrin is from. Dax's ruling line consistently birthed twins. While it's believed this is a result of an ancient enchantment placed on the family by the Fae, this belief is called into question by the occasional birth of a single heir instead of a pairing. When a sole heir is born, he or she only serves as crown regent until the next twinning is born, reaches adulthood, and accepts the sibling crown. Dak's territory is very loosely controlled. The monarchy is primarily concerned with developing the area surrounding the capital of Natoba while maintaining their naval control of the northwestern bay. 
Control of the shipping lanes and the tariffs this control generates are the primary revenue stream for the country. The focus on trade has allowed the Mercantile Guild a stronger presence in the region than in other areas of Normir. DAC's existence as a country is largely owed to the efforts of the Ehwanian, I good God knows I'm saying this wrong, Ahonian, Ehwanian Circle and the Circle of Obadhai. These two druidic circles pushed the monarchy to expand its borders and gain recognition of their territory at the Seat of Nations. There's an established rivalry between the two circles due to the differences in their methods. The circle of Obed High acts far more severely in meeting out justice to anyone that they would deem to be enemies of the forest. Wood elf communities spread through the area vary from more peaceful to more militant based on which circle they support. Dak is a heavily forested region and largely undeveloped. Villages are typically small and clustered around resources. The southern tip of the Rodalar mountain range extends into Dak. There are a few dwarven settlements in that area, but they, they operate independently of both Dak's leadership and the Iron Congress up north. The monarchy has signed a writ of commerce with the Mercantile Guild, which allows the guild to support logging, trapping, and mining operations in the area. Both circles monitor these camps. So, and, and Dak is, as we know through some of the conversations we've had with Eldrin, very subject to incursions from the Fey and brushes up against the the Fey Wild in a couple of places. So, it's been important for some of the rangers that are associated with the, either the Wood Elf communes or compounds to monitor those areas. So, there's two major thin points: one controlled by each circle, which have the potential to serve as stable portals to the Feywild. Incursions from the Fey are typical throughout the region when natural or magical conditions create flash portals. Villages in the area are very superstitious and wary of strangers due to the frequent presence of the Fey in the area. College of Glamour bards come from this region and will likely have spent time with one of the Druidic circles. Races include humans, wood elves, dwarves, gnomes, dragonborn orcs, half-orcs, half-elves, furbolg, kenku, tabaxi, shifters, kobolds, goblins, and bugbears. Other than the capital city, which is moderately diverse, species distribution occurs in small pockets. Villages and tribes will typically only house about two to three species. And other than the druidic circles, religions tend toward natural aspects and racial deities. Good question. What is the fey? So the Feywild is one of the two dimensions in the cosmology that is seen as kind of a mirror realm to reality. Shadowfell would be the opposite. So Feywild is what would be considered in, in typical Western literature as the Fey folk or stories of the Seely and Unseely court. So the, very, very much the realm of fairy from traditional uh, fantasy literature. Okay. So a thin point is kind of uh, where the dimensions are kind of close to each other, the the reality we live in and the fairy dimension or possibly the Shadowfell, but I guess we're not going to. I don't know that you guys are, are going to mess with the Shadowfell a whole lot, but it will come into play potentially with one of the settings later on. But yeah, so basically because of the na the nature of this area, there's something to it that creates, if you think of the uh, like two really kind of stout pieces of fabric playing against each other where they've been worn thin and now you can actually see through both mm -hmm. of them. That's that's what that what I mean by a thinning. So there's a there are, will be occasional spots where the realities have just rubbed up against each other enough to create a thin point which then allows things to seep through. And while there is certainly while the people here are certainly welcoming, they, they're used to weird shit wandering out of the woods. So they're gonna want to make sure that you're really a dragonborn before they treat you like a dragonborn. Mm. So it wouldn't be uncommon for when you walked into a village in Dak for them to hand you an iron horseshoe 
which seems weird anywhere else. But here it's verifying that if you can hold that that iron, then you're you're not a fae being because fae have a uh, kind of an allergic, very much like vampires and silvers. Fae and and iron don't don't go well together. So the Feywild is a fully matured, fully developed dimension that has a lot of the features in our dimension. Mm-hmm. Think of it as a funhouse mirror reflection of our world. So if you guys traveled to another realm, mm-hmm. the features, like if, if, like, let's say you're sitting in Austin, Texas right now, and you traveled to the elemental plane of fire, mm-hmm. shit's going to be completely different. Like it's, you're in a completely full-blown another dimension. But if you traveled to the Feywild or the Shadowfell version of Austin, Texas, they would be twisted versions of the reality that you're familiar with, right? Oh. So in the Feywild, they would all be fancier and sparklier and, you know, the mushrooms would come to life and try and talk to you until you ate them and tripped on them and saw your god or, you know, windows would be made out of candy. And, you know, so and in Shadowfell, it's just worse. It's just a a drab and down and soul sucking. And um, are there certain rules that change or apply like uh, differences in magic? Is it heightened for us as well as for the people that live in the Feywild? Yeah, there are absolutely consequences to being in both. In the Feywild, if you make a promise to a powerful Fey, that it can be just as binding as a soul contract. If you spend too much time in the Shadowfell, you basically get magical, you get magically depressed over time, and it starts to drown out your personality until you're just kind of this gray drone for all intents and purposes. The Feywild isn't, like the Shadowfell is inherently toxic, to normal living creatures. The Feywild isn't inherently toxic. Like you, you, you don't necessarily automatically have to save versus going mad, but you are much more likely to be able to put yourself into a compromising situation by encountering its denizens. Like the Shadowfell itself, the environment is, is the danger. What lives in the Feywild is the danger on on the other side oh okay okay it's like in metroid prime 2 if you go out into the shadow you'll start losing health in the shadow yes <laughs> exactly but exactly. In- except, except in your mind it's it's more it's more psychic oh, okay. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, you don't you don't have to have a spacesuit but you know a good a good fucking a good fucking corollary for it would be the upside down Shadowfell is very much the upside down from Stranger Things, except less slimy and goopy and tentacly and more undeady, if that makes sense. Uh, okay, I get it. Before we go to the Western Duchies, I do want to kind of round out with Cardana, which would be Fantasy Canada. It's the northernmost region. In addition to the northern reach of the Rodalar Mountains, this area houses the Mokeen Mountain Range and the Wing Peaks. While the territory is officially ruled by the Iron Congress, a dual monarchy agreed upon by the two dwarven dynasties whose ancestral homes are in the Rodalar and Mokeen ranges, their rule tends to focus on the mountain interior and trade routes. The Iron Congress supports several baronies which control primary logging, industrial, specifically coal and steamworks, uh, and agricultural regions. The remainder of the country organizes under the local burgomeisters for towns and cities, or they honor loosely traditional tribal territories in control. The Iron Congress funds and supports the Crimson Rangers, who independently patrol and provide protection across the country. The Wing Peaks house a large community of Aarakocra. Several small Kinku rookeries exist around the Wing Peaks, and the interior and undermountain house the gnomish communities in the area. Despite the decentralized rule, Cardana has a strong national identity and generally receives the support of its citizens. 
races are dwarven, human, wood elves, drow, half elves, gnomes, dragonborn, orcs, half orcs, goblins, bugbears, kobolds, furbolg, goliath, kinku, and arakakra. Uh, industries include mining, metalwork, logging and steamworks, College of Valor bards, train in this region. No single dominant agricultural product, but there's a robust fur trade dominated by Pergans Pelters, which is a trading company which has uh, orc, goblinoid and human trappers operating across the territory. Races tend to consolidate in species grouping by region with more diversity at city centers and trading hubs. There's a diverse religious base favoring racial patrons, valor, travel and natural aspects. So yeah, that's Fantasy Canada for all intents and purposes. The, then you've got the Western Duchies, which is the Western third of the Normerian continent. The Western Duchies is a catch-all term for the Western portion of Normier that is largely underdeveloped by one of the larger continental powers. The term was coined as a joke by the scholars in Newark to describe what they considered a lawless backwater, but the phrase caught on and has been adopted across the continent. As political development on each continent tends to be focused on areas closest to the Godspire, this area will likely remain uncontrolled until a resource is discovered that drives expansion or one of the local factions can consolidate enough power to gain recognition. There's no central government or organization across the duchies. Control of areas shift from collection of city-states, warlord territories, tribal lands, mercantile claims, monastic collectives, cult lands, and the like. Distinguished by the Broken Spine Mountain Range on the eastern border of the region, the terrain ranges from desert in the south to deep forest in the northwest, and pretty much anything goes kind of in this region. So the cultural development of the entire world and in and, and these two continents that we're specifically talking about today is focused more closely to the east coast of these two continents and the west coast of the, uh, the eastern continents because that's what puts them closest to the God Spire. So the God Spire is this giant crystal mountain that sits in the center of the Atlantic Ocean, like traditionally where people would think Atlantis was, if you were looking at our map. And one of the things that it does, besides housing the, the deities of the planet, is create a churning current which spins around it, which actually allows for accelerated trade in those regions. So generally, it's been more profitable and easier to develop trade routes with other continents along the, that edge of the whatever continent is facing towards that particular mountain. So that's why as you get further west, tend to see a decentralization of power, because even though there may be resources in that area, it's harder to profit on those resources. And so that's why it goes from more developed to less developed as you radiate outward. So tell me about the churning currents and the okay. god spire. So how tall is the god spire? Yeah, think Everest in the middle of the ocean. It's more, it's steeper than Everest a little bit. I mean, is it, is it um, much narrower? Yes, it's more narrow around the base. I haven't thought about the base circumference of it yet, but now I've got to do that. Thanks, Andrew. <laughs> well, I was like, I was like, it sounds, it sounds kind of man-made, but at the same time, it sounds like it came from space and just impacted and like a weird asteroid. In that intro of the series, that cosmology, that giant crystalline shard that slams into the planet, that's right. the God Spire. And yes, it, if, from, from a distance, it looks like a giant hunk of glowing quartz crystal. Think Fortress of Solitude from the Donner Superman times a thousand. Yes. And that's what okay. you've got. And so it's it's there and very, very close to it. The currents are extremely strong. And as they radiate out, they they calm down to a little bit to where they're a little bit more navigable. In fact, that's why one of the reasons why Baba ended up in in um, Cardana, where he had to. And this is how he ended up with Dak and meeting with you guys. He wasn't intend originally intending on going that far north on his walkabout. But one of the things that trading ships will do is try and gain the current 
a little bit and get it on an accelerated path. And if you don't know what you're doing, or if you roll the dice too too frequently to go into that current to kind of shoot the tube, sometimes you're going to get pulled way off course. And that's what what happened with him when he was traveling north and how he ended up in in DAC in the first place, because it was way south of where he was originally trying to go for his his walkabout, for his backstory. And it also, what we would consider microscopic particles of divine energy radiate outwards into the sea and give the sea a, a glowing effect that is very, very strong at the, at the base of the mountain, but then gets less noticeable as you radiate outwards. And then if you think at each of the four cardinal compass points, there is a, a, a narrower kind of offshoot sea that goes north, south, east, and west that, is, that are what some of the other intercontinental trade routes. If you try to just get on a boat and sail there, your boat would get way fucked up before you ever got are there. Are there any aircraft, blimps, zephyrs? There are, and in fact, the one shot we're, we're recording next week, you guys are on a goblin zephyr. Uh, goblin blimps are relatively new and somewhat untrusted, and that's an aspect of the episode we're recording next week. So you said that the currents uh, like around the Godspire are, are violent and get calmer and calmer as they go out. Is that the same in the air as well? It's more turbulent? Yes, that would okay. yeah, that would be correct because it's I mean it's it's almost like a a quasi gravitational force it, because there's not a real current something about the spire pulls. It's got it's like a not a gravitational force or a nuclear force, but it's like a magical force or a spiritual force. All right, real quick, I want to hit on a couple of special notes specifically in uh, Normir. There are two other features that we want to talk about, one of which is the winding ways. The winding ways are a series of arcane roadways along the major trade routes between each country on Normir. The winding ways are built and maintained by the Mercantile Guild, which the Mercantile Guild successfully lobbied to have the winding ways included in the Treaty of Nations under the premise that having established trade routes maintained and protected by a neutral third party would ultimately serve the member nations. The ways, in fact, have become very beneficial to the financial, political, and social development of the countries they connect, but the ways also serve to give the guild a foothold in every major country across the globe. The ways provide a slight boost to travel speed, magically discourage wild beasts from approaching, and softly glow at night. The roads also provide a very limited level of protection from travel-related injuries to any mount or person directly on the path. The Mercantile Guild maintains um, waypoints along the winding ways. Waypoints consist of inns, provisioners, hostlers, and restaurants, which are positioned to serve travelers and tradesmen. These businesses are all owned or licensed by the Mercantile Guild, duckies, for example. Uh, Waypoints will occasionally be licensed to other trade companies for expansion if resources are discovered in an area and the Mercantile Guild is not currently pursuing development themselves in that area, very much like the Bunyan Logging Company. The Waypoints have met with some pushback from Druids who see them as a disruption to migration patterns and contributors to pollution. Some local communities have suffered as well due to land seizures to support the ways or loss of revenue from the ways adjusting travel patterns away from established trade routes. So think interstate highways, but magical and managed by a third party from another country. It it sounds like they also own the real estate adjacent to it, like McDonald's. Yes, they, they own the real estate that they can then lease out to other businesses if they don't want to invest the resources in opening the businesses themselves. So the Mercantile Guild, does everyone have to put money into it, like a a tax, like a public tax, or is it those who join up, like... um 
So the, the Mercantile Guild is an independent entity which operates out of Sama, which we'll touch on in just a second. The Treaty of Nations is a peace treaty that was signed by all the major countries in Normir and Sama and in a few of the other continents across the ocean that where everybody settled down and came to the realization like, look, gods are popping up every summer or so and having these knockdown drag out fights in our backyard, it would probably be more beneficial for us to worry about containing the fallout from these divine summers, these the summer crossovers, than really pissing about who owns this river. And so kind of a, a mutually shared sense of preservation started what's effectively the fantasy United Nations. And the mercantile guild, which was a power in Sama, very cleverly saw that as an opportunity to insinuate themselves and to cast a much wider net. So if you go into to Sama, which is the continent just directly south of Normir, it's divided into two regions. Zaitan, which is the northeast portion, is an oligarchy. Uh, Zaitan is the home of the mercantile guild. The heads of the trading houses which make up the guild form the board, which is the ruling body of Zaitan. Uh, each house has a portion of the territory under their control, and houses are in constant competition for each other's lands and assets. Towns are organized as market centers, and most citizens are operating under some form of indentured servitude. Gnomes and dwarves control most of the trading houses. Currently, humans, high elves, goblins control one house each. The board's focuses on growing the revenues of the mercantile guild through legitimate trade as well as through less scrupulous means. The guild has been accused of a wide variety of crimes, including smuggling, bribery, mar market manipulation, pollution, etc., However, no concrete proof has serviced which has implicated the higher levels of management of the guild. It set its eye on expanding into the verdant to harvest the resources there for exploration, but it has been hesitant to engage in open aggression against the local groups that oppose their advance. Races typical to the Zaitan area are humans, dwarves, gnomes, high elves, goliath, kinku, tabaxi, centaurs, lizard folks, tiefling, kobolds, dragonborns, tortle, and yonti. So within the Treaty of Nations, there is a segment of funding from each one of the countries to pay for the upkeep uh, to fund the Mercantile Guild, specifically for the Winding Ways. The Mercantile Guild provides most of the support and collects most of the profit associated with that. So while there's a little bit of money that comes from the member nations of the of the treaty of the of the treaty of nations a lot of the they're collecting a lot of that money themselves and they got their fingers in a lot of a lot of different pies like the they put in all the raised highways in Hiko and they're making a mint off of the oil that's coming out of the southern fins which is being pumped out by the stilt dwarves as they work on creating a more traditional combustion oriented engine for the driverless carriages and yes i said driverless carriages not horseless carriages i said that once in the episode and i'm fucking sticking to it driverless carriages that are have been being created through magical means as well so there's um they've got their fingers in a lot of pots some of them legitimate some of them a little illegitimate and yes some of that is funded by tax revenue from fantasy united nations Do, are they the ones holding back the western duchies from being more developed or no like if there was something really out in the western duchies that they really wanted to get they would go and fucking get it but they the western duchies are just further away from the god's mount so people haven't been as interested in them mm. you know it's 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 more difficult to do business out there basically and so it's created kind of a more open and lawless area now tomorrow if somebody discovers fantasy uranium in one of those sections boom Mercantile Guild may be out there after it. If one particular cult or city-state or plot of land establishes a strong enough area to hold it, maintain it, and apply for membership into the Seat of Nations, that may establish it as a real country. 
But the main conflict right now for the Mercantile Guild is actually in Sama Wealth in an area called the Verdant. The Verdant is a huge undeveloped expanse of rainforest, open plains, and mountain ranges. It's populated by pocket communities of a diverse variety of races at various levels of development. There are several trading centers supported by the Mercantile Guild, which act as a valuable trading hub for citizens of the Verdant to export rare goods and serve as the primary point of contact for outsiders. While there's no central government, the area is fiercely protected by a collective of Green Knight Paladins, Druid Circles, Tribal Shamans, and Nature Priests. Races include humans, dwarves, halflings, wood elves, furbolg, goliath, ericocra, kinku, tabaxi, centaurs, lizardfolk, tiefling, kobolds, dragonborn, tortle, and yanti. Religions are all, but nature and racial deities are preferred. This is where Baba comes from, is the Verdant, and that's where his his tribe and the and the houses that made up his tribe were, were from as well as from that region. So this is, think if you've got a extremely hyper-capitalist organization that is bordering just this massive pool of resources on the rainforest, their focus right now is how to get in there without getting blasted to pieces because the while Sama doesn't have a local government, it is very, very, the, the tribes have a loose affiliation and are willing to push back about. So there's a little bit of a, a conflict at their border as they work to encroach on, on that green space. Okay. The only other thing that we haven't talked about is uh, Taliesin, the city of adventurers. Tal is an independent city-state which sits at the intersection of the borders of the Western Duchies, Dak, and Amsun. While Tal is not officially recognized in the Treaty of Nations, its existence serves a role for all the nations in Normir, and none of the ruling parties are interested in open interference. Only Hiko and the Mercantile Guild have been shown to engage in any clandestine political activity in the city. Tal originally began as a base camp for expeditions into the underworld, a huge subterranean complex that's not been fully explored and whose origins are not understood. It does seem to be ruins from an ancient civilization, but nobody knows where that ancient civilization came from. And it actually, portions of this giant underworld complex even start to border on other realms. Like there's ways you can get into some of the outer realms through pockets of this massive underground structure. Over time, Tal became a hub for adventurers, a place for them to meet, swap stories, trade gear, and plan their next job. Tradespeople saw an opportunity and gathered to service the adventuring parties who were spending more and more time in the area. The camp expanded into a village and then into a town and eventually into its current form as a huge walled metropolis. Individuals who were in the business of triggering curses, challenging dragons, aggravating liches, and generally looking for trouble for profit discovered they now had a place they could call home without worrying that their presence endangered their surrounding community. Guilds formed supporting the general adventuring community as well as specific professions, these guilds negotiate contracts with the countries of Nomir that allow their members to act as independent operators within their borders. While not all adventurers live in or operate out of Tal, the most powerful certainly do, and the city serves as a lightning rod for the threats that these heroes typically attract. Tal is a huge city separated in districts designed to service the various adventuring professions. Like it's got the martial district, it's got the magical district for all intents and purposes, a central hub which serves as a administrative area. And that's the... the uh, where is Todd from? Todd is from Amsoon. That's where Bernadette's Bounty Hunting and Banquet Services is located. They are actually located in the capital city, and Bernadette's will occasionally do some catering work for various dignitaries that at the Treaty of Nations. How close is, uh, is Taliesin the closest uh, major city to um, the Godspire? No, no. The closest actual major city to the Godspire would be the capital city of Orlin in Amsoon, which imagine if took Florida and curled it around a little bit, Orlin would be Orlando. So that's where Fantasy United Nations 
is located because that's actually the easternmost city in this particular case. With the way that I've drawn it, the countries are, are warped and curved a little bit. Mm-hmm. So if you think about the North American coastline and then kind of curve it into a sea, that that southern part, that Florida piece kind of curves up a little bit more and becomes oh, a little bit more central. So Florida is actually not in Hico. Florida is part of Amsoon. That's where Orland is located. And that's where the Fantasy United Nations or the Seat of Nations is located because that because of its proximity to the God Spire specifically. It, so is there almost like a moat? Around the God Spire, I mean, it's something yeah, that- exactly, very much so. Yeah, if you if you mm-hmm. took like a, a mountain, dropped it in around in the center of an Atlantic Ocean, and basically kind of drew a circular moat, and then drew a line north, a line south, a line east, and a line west, you would have a rough sketch of the major bodies of water in this particular. Okay, so I that's interesting because when you were potentially dropping hints about all, you guys know where the gods live. I mean, it's public knowledge. Hey, man, gods live there. Like they, the gods live physically on this mountain, which is, again, different from the traditional cosmology of other D&D settings. Like in, in most other D&D settings, your deities don't live on your plane of existence. They live in the, the realm of Arcadia or one of the, the various planes of heaven or hell um, or their own individual pocket planes of existence. Mm-hmm. That's not the case here. You, your, your gods live across the ocean on a big, giant fucking glowing mountain of stone, which is very strange. Which is like Mount Olympus as opposed to, so now do all the gods like Ralashas and then whatever fate um, believes in. And uh, Todd, I think, just believes in himself and thinks he should be living up there. But Yes, as far as you guys know, all the deities of the major pantheon live on the god spire together. Okay. Do you, do you have any other questions, comments, or suggestions? Uh, no. I'm, um, I'm impressed how quickly you talk. Thank uh, you. It helps when I'm reading it from shit that I wrote six months ago. <laughs> I was like, uh, I, am I supposed to buy a cattle at some point? <laughs> Is he selling farm equipment, farm animals? Hey, I I've, know. you know, I actually for a brief minute looked into auctioneer classes, but they, they, they didn't have any here in Austin. They were all up in DFW, so... Had oh, yeah. there been a auctioneer school, because it's not a it's not a bad gig, and, it and is, mostly in F, mostly FW, not not so much. Yeah, TV. exactly. So yeah, that, I mean that's that's the world as a whole. I've got the other continents more loosely worked up for just kind of general setting purposes for for p- potential development in the future. But let's wrap this up. Okay. Moyle, thank you so much. Or I'm sorry, Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down. First of all, some great questions. You have no idea how pleased I am that you asked about the tax and financial implications of funding for the Winding Ways. I've never been more proud of, of you <laughs> as a player or a person in my entire life. I think it's, you know, it's funny. I, as you're saying, I didn't even think, but the, the episode I listened to you and of the Not Our podcast, mm-hmm. uh, you were asking about the taxes and you're like, well, I'm going to be the money man here. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I made I made a sociopathic accountant for my last character. Yeah. That was kind of the route that I was playing. So, All right, we'll, we'll wrap things up. Uh, thank you for... This is being, this is a lot of fun. So I'm, I'm really enjoying this. So. Oh, cool, man. I, I appreciate it. I'll talk to you later, bud. Okay. Bye-bye. <laughs> bye bye. Bye.